Welcome to the Train Right Podcast, presented by CTS, a podcast about furthering human performance in endurance sports. I'm your host, Hillary Allen. Former pro cyclist, Olympian, coach, and visionary entrepreneur, Chris Carmichael, founded CTS 20 years ago as the first world-class online coaching solution built to deliver results to pro and amateur endurance athletes. Chris and his team of 50-plus certified coaches are completely driven by innovation and catalyzing new levels of success for the thousands of athletes that they coach daily. Whether you're a pro or a dedicated time-crunched amateur, you're about to learn exactly what's working best today and what's not to get faster, stronger, and achieve your goals from the most experienced team of coaches working in endurance today. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by CTS Coaching. Whether you're training for your first 50K or your 10th 100 miler, CTS has top all-terraining coaches who can provide you with the guidance, personalized training program, and tools to build fitness and dial in your race strategy for your best performance yet. CTS has coaches who all combined have run many thousands of miles and have towed the line in ultramarathons like the Western States 100, Leadville, Hard Rock, UTMB, and many more. Visit trainright.com coaching to get matched with the coach today. Okay. Hey, Dylan. Welcome to the Train Right Podcast. Hilly Goat, it's good to chat with you. Uh, a world apart in some crazy times, but it's good to hear your voice. I know. You actually squeaked out with one of the only performances or like races that happened this year before the coronavirus pandemic kind of, you know, shut down the racing world. <laughs> I know. I uh, We've been kind of joking about how it felt like I finally like caught a break and that something sort of was happened with good timing for me. And it, it had felt like it had been a long time since that had occurred. And I'm really happy I was able to squeeze in a race before all this madness has uh, sort of unfolded around the world with the, the coronavirus. But um, yeah, recognizing that I was very lucky and I'm very grateful that I did have the opportunity to race because who knows when the next opportunity is going to be. Yeah. And so this actually is like a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk to you about this year or like, well, in the past few years, I guess. Um, so you just raced Trans Grand Canaria, right? And you, I mean, it was an amazing performance. You got third. That was a really exciting race to watch actually. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I, uh, I finished third, as you said, it was a race that I had wanted to go back to since I did it the first time back in 2014. That was really my first international race experience. And I <laughs> made pretty much every mistake you could possibly make as a pretty inexperienced runner on the scene. And, and certainly somebody who was not equipped with the tools necessary to be successful in European style racing. And so that 2014 experience was really a humbling one. And um, you know, I've always wanted to go back for some redemption because it ended up being probably one of my worst performances ever. I did <laughs> finish that year, but, um, it was not a, not a proud finish. It was a pure survival type race. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, going back this year made sense, uh, with my calendar and, um, yeah, I was, you know, really happy to, to pull off um, a solid performance again. You know, it had been a little while for me after a year of 
hardship and injury and uh, yeah. sort of redeem, redeem that first race experience that I had on the island. And yeah, I just feel like I'm, I'm getting close to being back in real, real shape. Um, it was, it was pretty yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, th- I know exactly from, from experience, I mean, how much of a race like that can be after, you know, a year of, of injury and hardship. Um, but before we get into that, can you tell me some of these rookie mistakes that you made? Because like, I mean, I, I kind of, I was this, I got joined the North Face team the year after you did. And, um, you know, I was like dipping my toe in European racing too, but holy crap, European racing is a different level. It's like so different from US racing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just to sort of run through a few of the mistakes that I made. So this is 2014. Like I said, it was the first year of the Ultra Trail World Tour. I had won the Sean O'Brien 50 miler in, um, I guess, when was that? It was in February of 2014. That was a golden ticket race. Um, back before the golden ticket races were hundred K distances or longer. Um, so that was a a really great run for me, a performance I was really proud of. And then it was, I think just a few days later that I got the invitation from the ultra trail world tour to come to trans grand Canaria as a result of my win at Sean O'Brien. Now those races were only separated by like three or four weeks So, you know, after a really hard 50 mile race uh, in Southern California at Sean O'Brien, you know, I'm the type of person that I usually need to have a bit more rest in between. So that was mistake number one. Uh, I ran really hard 50 miler and then just sort of like jumped at the opportunity to race in Europe, even though the races were really close together and I didn't have ample time to kind of recover and then sort of train specifically for the demands of trans grand canaria um and then the the other and i think more significant mistake that i made was i because of some other travel that i had in between the two races i didn't show up on the island until about 24 hours before the race started and oh my god dylan no people who have been there you know it's it's a pretty pretty serious trip um pretty hard travel to get to uh the island of grand canaria off the coast of, of morocco and um you know that really long trip combined with you know big jet lag and having basically only 24 hours to get ready for the race um basically by the time that the gun went off and we were sent off into the night, I was feeling just completely drained and exhausted. And I remember just like going up the first climb that night and just being like, Oh no, this is going to be a <laughs> long, long run. And no, no. <laughs> so those are the two, two major mistakes that, that I made just sort of like um, feeling like I was, you know, obligated to go do it because I had been invited, even though it didn't really make a lot of sense with my calendar. And number two, just not uh, really appreciating the travel. So I learned a lot from it. And now, you know, basically since that race, I've, um, you know, I've retooled how I travel for international races uh, when I arrive uh, to give myself the best possible opportunity to, to have some energy come race day. 
Yeah, I love that. And that's also one thing I admire about you, even pre and post race, definitely, is how hard you chill. It's just, it's like another level, Dylan. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been in that, that mode now for, I guess, like two and a half weeks since Trans Grand Canaria. And uh, I'm starting to feel uh, a little bit lazy in quarantine. <laughs> uh, it's a good time to rest. It's a good time. Yeah, I know, right? It's a, yeah, it definitely is a good time to rest. But and so, were you actually coached at that point? Because I know now you're coached by Jason Coop, correct? I I was coached at the time. Jason and I had started together probably five or six months before, and mm-hmm. that run that I mentioned at Sean O'Brien was probably at, at that point one of my best runs ever. Again, it was a golden ticket race. It was really competitive that year. And, um, so yes, I, I was really, um, sort of falling into the whole, uh, Jason Coop program and, you know, really like committed to it. Um, and, um, you know, of course it was, it was all my fault that things didn't turn out well at Trans Grand Canaria just because of the logistical mistakes that I had made. And in fact, I think he may have actually, um, advised me not to make the trip out there, but I just again felt obligated to do it because I'd been invited. And who turns down a trip to the Canary Islands? Yeah. Um, so we were working together at that time. It was in the very early stages of our relationship, and now we're, I guess, like six and a half years um, into working together. And yeah, Coop is my my biggest supporter, my biggest cheerleader and somebody who's helped me more than anybody else in my career. No. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's such a great guy. I mean, I remember um, just in, even in one of my races, like uh, he was just a total surprise. He just somehow like showed up on the course and I was like, gave him a big hug. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he can just, he draws it out of you. Just like, you know, makes you go places you never thought you could. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, so now, I mean, this is what? So six years of you racing ultras? I mean, since then, uh, this is 10 yeah. years, 10 years total of me. Yeah. Ultras, yep. So, okay. So I have to, I'm going to ask you this question to start. Um, because what makes you, I think like, especially over the past few years, like maybe it's, it's been up and down of, you know, you really questioning why, why you run and, why you want to race these extreme distances. Um, what is it about, about running and running for long periods of time that you love? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, as you know, Hillary, I've always been an athlete. we sort of share our uh, sort of non-traditional upbringing in the sport. <laughs> and um, that's always sort of like been what drives me, what um, motivates me is just like, pushing myself, being competitive. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of value in just putting yourself on the line in, and, and that's sort of like the nature of sport of just sort of like testing yourself, putting yourself out there, exposing yourself to challenges. And, um, you know, there's really no better sport for, for doing that on a deep, deep level um, than ultra running. And so when I found the sport after my collegiate lacrosse career had come to a close, 
I was living in Aspen at the time, and so it was naturally a really great place to to train. Um, and immediately, just like a lot of people who find the sport, I just sort of fell in love with the daily practice of going out and running in the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, sort of, I mean, I've never struggled with like finding reasons why, you know, as I said, that's always been my default, you know, the things that have really, that really bothered me during my year of injury wasn't like, you know, a lack of motivation to get back to it. In fact, to the contrary, it was, I was so motivated. I so wanted to be running. Um, and my, my physical body was not allowing me to do so. And it caused just like a lot of like emotional stress too, as you're really familiar with, with your history of much more severe <laughs> injuries than I was going through. But it's something I think that um, people uh, don't, I think, or maybe just discount a little bit of just sort of like when, when those things are out of balance, when like you so desperately want to be out there and your body won't allow you to, it just is such a hard thing to deal with. And especially when you put a lot of other sort of unnecessary stress on yourself, like feeling like you're letting other people down, like your friends and family and sponsors and stuff. And, um, Yeah, just it was a tough thing. But yeah, the motivation part has never, never been a problem for me. It's always been yeah. <laughs> you know, um, balancing, balancing that with, uh, with how my body and mind are feeling. Yeah. And so I mean, I, I completely agree. For me, it's never been an issue of motivation. Like it's just something I, I truly love. So it's like something I, I can't even fight with. It's just like a question of, okay, it's like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work towards that goal. It's like, it's gonna happen. But it's, it's a little bit different when, when your body kind of, you know, needs a kind of a forced recovery period. Um, and so like, so, I mean, you've had several strong performances, like, so 2019, I mean, well, that wasn't your best year. Like what? I mean, we've talked about this before, yeah. but what, like, what, where did this, I mean, where did this start? And like, kind of, yeah, take me through it. Cause I think you, yeah, 2019, like dealt you some pretty crappy cards. Yeah. Well, so I'm glad you asked and I hope I can answer it in a way that won't take, you know, uh, an <laughs> but um going back even a little bit further to 2018 I had a really really great season that year I won Tarawera and UTMF I got second place at TDS um but let's like let's rewind that a little bit like that was amazing 2018 like let's let's take UTMF so Ultra Trail Mount Fuji and TDS those are my two favorite races to watch like it was so like you were just like racing all out with Powell for UTMF mm-hmm. and you passed him in the last what 400 meters <laughs> maybe yeah, not that short not, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then TDS was like a nail biter it was yeah it was a really competitive like amazing year right yeah and so at TDS that was also one of the closest I think long course finishes ever the the podium there after 13 and a half hours of racing was separated by 90 seconds so we were literally (laughs) sprinting through the streets of Chamonix um trying to you know beat one another so it was both you know those two race experiences were two of the most powerful amazing days of my life you know and they're separated by four months both were performances I was super, super happy with, super proud of, you know, Tarawera was also a good race for me. Um, again, winning that race for the second time I had, 
um, an awesome day doing an FKT project with Red Bull on the Lost Coast of California. And so 2018 was just a year where everything just clicked. And I really felt like I had like everything figured out. You know, I sort of felt that I could take the strategy that I employed in 2018 and just copy and paste it every year going forward. And I was just like, never going to have a bad race ever again. And (laughs) it was weird because like at the end of that year, you know, I'm also renegotiating all my contracts with my sponsors and like everything's just going really well for me. And for some reason, I just sort of like fell into this rut, you know, just fell into this kind of emotional hole where I just like lost track of, you know, where I was. I sort of just mm-hmm. totally went the opposite direction where everything seemed to be going great for me. And for some reason, I was just like feeling kind of horrible. And it wasn't long after that that my physical health started falling apart. So, First, like my first race of 2019, the year that you originally asked me about here where things were were not great was at the Hong Kong 100K Um, because the North Face 50 miler had been canceled the year before due to wildfires. I sort of just transitioned my focus and energy to the Hong Kong 100K. I flew out there and, you know, first day upon arriving, just got like ridiculously sick with some sort of traveler's bug. So, you know, that was a, I I ultimately tried to run the race, even though, you know, it was clear that I was, you know, not equipped for a good performance, ended up dropping out after like 25 miles. And then I was going to do a ski engineering race with our friend and um, North Face teammate, Mike Foote. And again, race week, I got like ridiculously sick this time with like a, you know, upper respiratory thing, like flu type thing rather than a stomach thing. But, you know, I've always had this just amazing immune system. And to start out 2019 by getting like bedridden sick two different times in the Mm. separated by like six weeks or something right before competition. You know, I I sort of was just chalking it up to bad luck and bad timing, but you know, clearly there was something else kind of going on. And then not long after that, I uh, broke my ankle when I was running, um, trying to get ready for Transvolcania. And then Got back into training too quickly, developed a really bad Achilles tendonitis in the same ankle that I had broken. Um, Then as soon as I could no longer run because of that injury, I got on my bike, crashed my bike, separated my shoulder, got a concussion. (sighs) And it wasn't until then that I finally like hit pause and said, okay, man, like there's clearly something else that (laughs) you need to deal with. Um, Yeah. And you need to, you need to just stop. So 2019 was definitely a very, very challenging year, but, um, I'm finally feeling like I'm mostly through it. And with some retrospect, with some perspective, um, can, can start to see the the outlines of the value in the experience. But yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a low moment for me and, uh, you know, something all athletes go through, but something that's really hard nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I remember just like all of these things that kept on happening, like, time and time again, I was like, oh my gosh, Dylan, you're not catching a break. And I mean, can you tell me, I mean, I have, you know, similar experiences through injury. It's like, it's, 
I mean, I feel of it like an opportunity, like you have an opportunity to learn about, you know, what makes you, what makes you, you, what makes you want to keep going and, and, you know, what makes you a performance driven, like just goal oriented person. But what are some of the things I think it's, I think it's different for each person. What, what are some of the things that you learned, like from, from going through all those hardships? It wasn't just all like, hopefully, you know, just hard times and you just wanted to be over, but (laughs) what is it that you actually learned? So I think first and foremost, it was the fact that I can't wrap all my self-worth and my, um, you know, how I feel about myself into my ability to, to perform well as an athlete, you know, it's sounds very basic, but like, I have been an athlete my whole life. I've been running ultras for 10 years at this point and never really dealt with any injury. You know, even going back yeah. when I was playing lacrosse, like I never missed a single practice, let alone a game because I was hurt, you know? And yeah. so I was just not equipped with the tools of like being a mature person when you're dealing with injury and giving your body and mind space to heal. And I think be- the, the reason for that was because like my whole identity was wrapped up in it, you know, and it was sort of yeah. like, okay, I sign all these new contracts and with sponsors who I know care about me and who I have long-term relationships with. Um, but, you know, when you, when you sign new contracts and then you keep getting hurt and you can't perform, you sort of like have this other feeling of like, oh my God, I don't deserve like what, I have, I'm a total fraud. Like, why are these people supporting me? I can't even, you know, finish a race. And so there's, there's a lot of levels to it, right? It's sort of like, not, not only is your body not allowing you to do what you love, but you also feel like you have lost who you are and that you know, you're, you're actively like defrauding people you care about (laughs) by like not being able to perform. And of course this is all self-created, you know, it's all nonsense. And our, my, my sponsors were, went out of their way to send me notes of support and things like that, which I really appreciated, but it's all self-created. But that was really the main takeaway for me is sort of like, okay, dude, like, first of all, this, you're, you're creating all this stuff in your head. And number two, like you can't, this can't be the core of who you are as a person is your ability to like run faster than people in races. (laughs) Like you you have to be, you have to be cool with your day-to-day life, you know, independent of your identity as as an athlete. And so that was something, you know, it sounds again, so fundamental, but as somebody who's been an athlete my whole life and really never dealt with injury, it was a pretty profound thing. So that was really the the main thing that, that I um, have sort of gotten back to is like, you know, recognizing that I, I love doing this because, you know, it is who I am. It is what I love to do. I do love to compete, but that, you know, I, I like, and love running independent of my ability to like have good performances. You know, it's something that I love to do just for the, the pure practice of it and the joy of it. Um, but I love that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say those, that was really the, the major takeaway for me in, in the last year. And so did you have any kind of practices that you, that you did like for instance when when I was injured I, I mean I like did this silly thing that I actually like I, I was like 
I thought it was silly, but I mean, it, it actually like made a big difference. Like I had this book and I had, it was like my journal that I'd write down like, oh, I'm pissed about this today. Or like, you know, if things like if recovery just seemed too hard, I just was like, I can't do this today. Yeah. But I would write down affirmations. And like, there was one that I kept on reading to myself. And I'd be like, okay, like believe that your best athletic days are ahead of you. And some days I would read it and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this like seems silly that I'm reading this because it doesn't. Like, it doesn't seem true, but, like, yeah. I'd say it to myself anyways, and, like, by the end of it, then I was just, like, you know, I was just getting super excited. I was, like, yeah, hell, your best athletic days are ahead of you, you know? Like, um, was there something like that, that that helped you get through kind of, like, the hard times? So, first of all, I want to tell you that I have been sort of saying that to myself since our conversation on my podcast where you you sort of like brought that to my attention I think it's just such a cool thing and and so when I was in that's amazing a couple couple weeks ago I was like Hillary you know she would say my best (laughs) athletic days are ahead of me like gotta have that belief and it was something that's so hard to sort of come by because again, it just like feels fake, you know, and my wife is very much into this kind of mind body connection sort of thing. And um, so she would encourage me to do things like that, you know, write down things and, and, and even more so like, just be careful about like the words that I put out into the world and like what my internal dialogue is. Right. Because like I was Mm. constantly just like, I suck. I'm a fraud. I'll never be back. Like it's over for me sort of thing. And when, you know, that's your constant internal dialogue and sometimes your external dialogue. Yeah. Like it's hard to make any progress. Right. So it took a lot of convincing for me to, um, really do do much of that stuff. And I can't say that I was really like writing down affirmations, but I, I definitely did start to get more uh, careful about the way that I was like talking to myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this mind body connection thing, I think is super, super important and, and doing things like that are, I think um, a huge uh, or underappreciated way to sort of maybe not accelerate your return, but just sort of like take some of the emotional baggage off your shoulders that you're dealing with during these times of, of injury. Um, and so, yeah, like doing everything I could to sort of, um, yeah, to relieve some of that like burden that I was putting on myself um, was ultimately what helped me turn the corner. And so for me, I was like, you know, going to therapy and doing my daily meditations and um, yeah, just like talking to friends and family who had been through similar things, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really, I think that was the core of what helped me kind of come back or come out of it because really like I said at the end of 2018 before any of these injuries I was I really just felt like awful internally you know and yeah looking back like I'm convinced that 
that was the that was the core of my physical problem too you know like when your internal life is not good i think your your physical body is much more vulnerable to things like getting sick during race week or breaking your ankle not being able to recover well um and yeah like so that that's really been um another major takeaway for me is like you really have to pay attention to that internal life and uh yeah, just sort of like emphasize that as much as you do like your physical fitness. Oh, man, I love that. Because I mean, I was going to ask if like, I mean, I know you've only had the one race uh, this year, like since all the, those injuries, but do you do you notice a difference like of kind of of practicing that of having the opportunity to practice the positive mental talk? And do you see that translating into your ability to train and, and perform in races now? Yeah, totally. And I think it's something that I knew internally, like before all this stuff went wrong, because like, I've always had the understanding that like, it's not usually like when I'm training the hardest that I feel the best as an athlete, you know, (laughs) it's always when like, I'm training pretty hard but that like my life is in balance outside of running, you know, when my day job is going well, when I'm interacting with friends and family a lot, you know, when my, my home life is going well and in balance. Um, Mm -hmm. That's when, you know, your, your physical body, I think is most able to, you know, have these just like incredible sort of, um, yeah, just like physical performances. Um, and so that, you know, I think it's something that I've always kind of like understood, but it definitely has come into sharper focus now that I have finally been through a little bit of adversity. And I feel so funny just like you know, <laughs> complaining about injuries to to you who's been. Oh, so no. it's, it is like crazy, you know, like, in the grand scheme of things, like I had a pretty minor ankle break. I mean, it's still, it's almost been a year now and it's still like a little bit of a problem. So it's not like it was minor, but like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's people who've been through so much harder stuff, but still like, it felt like totally life crushing, you know, to me at the time. And so I think, yeah, just sort of like having some perspective and, um, yeah, and, and focusing on that internal thing, I think is really, really important. I think so too. And I mean, I just, I think it's, it's kind of like, I feel like runners as a whole, like as a community, what makes us, what makes it special for ultra runners is like, even if you're not running the same pace, like if you run an ultra and like someone runs like a hundred mile race and they're like, oh yeah, I hit the wall or like I bonked so hard. It's like, people know what you mean, right? It's like this, it's, it's, you're like, oh yeah, like I was like hallucinating or like, yeah, I just like, I just like cried on the side of the trail. I mean, it's the same thing for an injury. It's like, you're kind of like part of this, this club almost. It's like, it doesn't even matter if you're, if you have the same one. It's like, I feel like it, it, it teaches you so much if you just allow it to. And I mean, I just think it's, it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not pleasant when you go through it, but it's actually kind of like a really cool opportunity to, to learn about yourself and like take those things moving forward. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm sure like for you, it's allowed you to have like such a different impact on people than you would have if all you had contributed was just like, you know, pictures of you on a podium, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And And that's like, that's not even why we run. I feel like, I mean, so this is, this is a, this is a question because I I heard you describe of like the reason why, you know, you want to run and why you're an athlete. Like, it's not about, you know, don't have a problem with motivation, but it's, you know, it's like you have, but like, it's just a part of you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, as you're kind of getting back into, you know, performing and obviously that's part of, you know, racing, like races, they are certain days you can test yourself, test yourself, but then also test yourself against other people. Um, but is that one of your main motivations of, of like why you wanted to get back after injury? Um, or was it like you more chasing this kind of like freedom and connection to yourself again? What do you mean? So like, what was my motivation just to like get back or to like perform well? Is that what the question yeah. 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 I, I guess just because like, I mean, I think performances, like you said before, it's like these performances that like they make you feel great as an athlete and like, you know, you're unstoppable, like these magical moments of, you know, you said like the best two days of your athletic career was, you know, mm-hmm. one was UTMF and then one was TDS. Like, are you chasing, are you chasing those, like those actual mm-hmm. moments? Or do you think those can come um, from something else? Like not just a performance? Yeah, I think this is a really important thing. Like, so yeah, I am chasing those, you know, like I do (laughs) want to do that, you know, like on a deep, deep level, I still want to race, I still want to compete. And I want to do it for as long as I can. And I turned 34 yesterday, I've been running ultras for more than 10 years now. And I still feel the motivation and drive every day to train and get better. Um, and I still want to have like amazing performances on big stages against the best athletes. Yeah. That is still like what I really want to do. And yeah, that was kind of like part of the whole injury process too. Is like, okay, I was 33 last year and I was like, well, like, you know, that's not like terribly old in the grand scheme of being a, like an endurance athlete, but you definitely start to feel like, okay, I'm not like young anymore, you know, and <laughs> I, it, it gives you sort of like a different urgency of like, okay, like I can't be injured for a year, you know, like I feel like I'm in my prime. I don't want to like give up this time, you know, mm-hmm. but I think, yeah, like the more important thing is to like, not let that be the only drive, you know, and to, to make sure that your, your motivations are pure to just like get out the door and do your workout because you enjoy it. Not because like you want to have great performances. And that was really what was missing for me is like all my drive was last year was like, Oh shit. I am not worthy of the support that I get from my sponsors because I can't race. And I'm, you know, getting older, like, is this the end for me kind of thing? Yeah. And, and that's what made it so hard. It was because like the, the competitive part of it was 
really the only thing I was focused on. So yeah, I think that's been kind of like what I was going back to saying earlier, just sort of like decoupling my, my love for running from like my identity as being like a good runner, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, trying to balance those two things is really, I think the key here, like I do still want to compete. I do still want to like have my best athletic days ahead of me, but um, mm-hmm. you know, if, if it's, if that's not going to happen, right. Like I, I can't be completely miserable. <laughs> You know, I have to be <laughs> totally cool with life as it is. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's like a really honest and and amazing perspective because, yes, of course we want to compete. It's not all just like, you know, butterflies and, you know, whatever. When I like, I mean, I love to run and like I could be, you know, even maybe like people are just like perceive me as like, oh, like this happy-go-lucky person who just loves to run and like look at bugs and things. But like when I start on the start line, like I want to compete, you know, like, um, but no, I think that that's a really honest, uh, answer. And it's, I think it's also a really healthy perspective. And, um, so I think what I want to end with is let's talk about this concept of, uh, the, the comeback, the comeback tour, Dylan, what is this? (laughs) So, yeah, the revenge the revenge tour revenge tour sorry not the comeback i'm the one that hates the word the comeback the revenge tour what is this revenge over (laughs) a concept that i sort of started to think about at the end of 2019 when i was finally starting to feel the momentum shifting in my life and feeling like i was coming back into kind of feeling like myself again after so long feeling like lost in the world and it, it is a, a a tribute to uh my experience playing lacrosse in college because in my freshman year we were ranked number one we were undefeated going into the postseason and right before the the national tournament, we were disqualified because two of our, two of my teammates were academically ineligible. So we were disqualified from the national tournament being the number one ranked team and undefeated throughout the season. And um, yeah, granted two of our players were academically ineligible, but we really did feel like we had been robbed. Right. And this was my freshman year. And then the next season, we just had this like anger and swagger about us, like that where every game we just like brought that just feeling of being robbed and just had this wild, like emotional, um, kind of continuity among the team of like we really were like very committed to one another felt like we had something to prove and it was just like it's difficult to describe other than to just say it was a magical season like we just mm-hmm. and you know to give you an idea of sort of our attitude and disposition throughout the year we we wore all black uniforms for all of our home games and instead of like walking onto the field with like our our university flag, we walked onto the field with a pirate flag. 
and <laughs> like a skull and crossbones, you know, and all of us are in our, our black uniforms, hooting and hollering and just like feeling really like we're a team and we have, you know, something to prove. And ultimately we were able to win the, the national championship and we were, it was just like an amazing, you know, roller coaster of a season. And especially having been through what we had been through my freshman year, it was just like, so freaking cool. And, but what we called it, we called it the, the revenge tour. We called it the haters revenge tour. And um, yeah, and it was successful and, and sort of that attitude and that emotion, I think, you know, is something that I kind of want to embody this season is just sort of like, not necessarily like, you know, having that anger, but just sort of like having that, that drive and that, feeling of like I'm not done you know like this yeah. is what I want to do I'm 100% sure that this is what I want to do and you know I'm going to leave no stone unturned in service of those goals so yeah and part of part of the concept was um going back to races where I hadn't had my best performances including Trans Grand Canaria so part of the revenge tour was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to write the ship. We're going to go back and redeem ourselves at uh, places where we didn't perform well in the past. And yeah, you know, take our revenge. And I know that word might rub some people the wrong way. And I want people to know it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's more of an attitude rather than, you know, like in anger. Um, it's yeah. Anyway, something that, I've been thinking about a lot and want to sort of carry with me this season. And for seasons to come. I love it, Dylan. And yeah, if you need any, you know, like I'll, I'll be your wing, your wing woman for, you know, that swagger to the start line. Yeah. So well, I like it. And just to, to give it a tiny bit more context at Trans Grand Canaria, um, uh, my, my coach who we have mentioned here, Jason Coop, who I have an amazing friendship and relationship with, flew all the way out there to support not only me, but uh, Casey Lichtai and maybe one or two other athletes. Um, and I saw him at the first aid station and he brought a skull and crossbones pirate flag with him. And so at the aid station, he was like holding it up and, um, yeah. So anyway, it was. It, oh my gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, it was great. And the North Face has made me a backpack with stolen crossbones on it, and uh, so yeah, it's an attitude you know that comes from you know my history of being a lacrosse player, and and something that I want to sort of carry with me this season. Oh man! All right. Well, then, if if any of you listeners are out there at these 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 races, uh, let's bring a pirate flag for Dylan. This that's so awesome. I love it. But thanks so much for being on here, Dylan. And it's always such a pleasure talking to you. And um, yeah, thanks so much, Haley. Thanks so much for the inspiration. You are <clears throat> the best, and uh, it's always fun to chat. And I hope you stay safe and healthy in quarantine. <laughs> You too. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Right podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com slash podcast. You can find social links and more information from our guests. And you can also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. 
You can leave us a rating on iTunes there too. Hope you guys tune in next week.